0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hey everybody, just wanted to give a little context before we kick these next couple episodes off. A lot of you know, some of you don't. But for those who don't, I got the uh, the rare treat to go out of town on vacation here uh, recently. Got to go to New York City, visit the Big Apple, take in all those. Bright lights and wonderful, wonderful pizzas. Oh, so many pizzas were consumed. It was amazing. Um, I also got to go to the Fear the Riff Expo, which you guys heard. They sponsored an episode here uh, recently. And that was all fantastic and wonderful and every other great adjective that you could use. In a nutshell, I gathered some uh, on-site, on-location recordings with uh, some key players, some of them we did, uh, most of them we did at the Expo themselves, which you'll hear, Um, one of them we did in a very legendary New York shop, you're gonna really, you're gonna hear that one uh, right now, actually, so, here you go, and uh, so yeah, that's just a little context for this, uh, these next few episodes, I hope you enjoy them, they're a little condensed, they're a little, a little different than the normal format, but we, We do get to the all-important question, so never fear, never fear. Also, wanted to recognize that this episode is sponsored by Sinusoid. Yes, they're still sponsoring this crazy podcast and this crazy project known as the Tone Mob. Sinusoid cables are the bomb. The dudes that run it are the bomb, and I can't say enough good things about them. So, if you go to sinusoid.com, you'll build yourself the custom cable of your dreams, They'll stand behind it 120%, and you guys are going to be happy. So check out Sinusoid. They're great guys, great people doing great things. And here is today's rather unconventional episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. Hey everybody, uh, we're here at uh, Carmine Street Guitars in New York City, New York, and I'm talking with uh, Nick Kelly, Rick Rick Kelly, Rick Kelly, I knew I was going to do that too, <laughs> uh, showing my true professionalism here, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Grant Wilson from Big Ear uh, sent me here, he told me you gotta come check out the shop and he was 100% right, so I decided to throw a mic up real quick and ask Rick a few questions. Um, He's got a kind of a unique uh, approach to building instruments, and I think uh, you guys would get a kick out of it. So, if you got a couple of minutes, you can just kind of give us your a quick backstory of what you do here and uh, how long you've been doing and all that good stuff. Okay,
1: yeah, we've uh, been uh, in this shop for about thirty years, and I've been building for even longer. But I've uh, been mostly always using reclaimed lumber, and what I do now mostly is use uh, New York City beams that are from these old buildings. All these buildings are like 1830s to 1850s to 1827 building you're standing in now. Wow. This was uh, the backyard and the walls were added about 1900. It used to be a dance hall back here. But uh, underneath that tin up on the ceiling is the same wood every 16 inches. There's another one of these big fat timbers. And uh, they've been sitting up there for 160 years. So the wood is super seasoned, super dry. And it's a beautiful old white pine. From virgin forest trees that were cut down about 200 years ago to build the city, and so it makes a really nice-sounding uh, uh, instrument. I Mostly make, you know, uh, electric guitar solid bodies and basses, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, usually in the Telecaster style. And the shape is kind of what I'm known for, what I do mostly. Right. And uh, I also make the necks out of it, which is a little more unique. Uh, not that many people use pine in the necks although you know originally all classical guitars used some kind of cedar or a conifer tree for necks Mm -hmm. so it's very uh, it's been used for 200 years that way but for electric guitars it's something new and it what it tends to do is it makes the whole instrument a whole lot more resonant Mm -hmm. and the d and the g string kind of come alive because i do it without truss rods so oh, there's okay. No rod in the neck and the wood is just solid, and so it seems to vibrate more evenly. Mhm. And it's a bit more responsive. And uh, it just gives a really nice warm tone. The wood, the pine wood seems to have a nice warm sound to it.
0: I I would imagine, I don't know, I'm speaking as a kind of a neophyte here, but like the uh because you're using this wood that's been
2: mm.
0: you know, dried out and seasoned for so long, you probably don't run into as much as, you know, the truss rods are kind of a, that can be viewed as sort of a band-aid solution. Yeah,
1: it is actually. That's because of the wood that they usually make guitar necks out of. They actually use maple, which is a good hardwood, and you would think it's harder than pine and better in some ways. But mm-hmm. yet, it's the way the trees grow. When you look at the way maple trees grow, they have to bend and move through the canopy to get to the sun. So the cells in the wood are very malleable, whereas pine trees are very straight growing, conical They grow perfectly straight, and that's the way the wood wants to stay. Gotcha. Whereas maple trees want to bend around because that's the way they grew. When you get a pile of wood, and if you buy lumber from a lumber yard, it's all plain flat, and you don't know which way the tree grew. Right. If you stand it up over time, the wood has a memory. It'll start going back into that arc. So there's a lot of necks that come out of the factories that wind up with back bow Mm -hmm. or front bow because of the way the tree was leaning. So yes, they rely on truss rods to try to keep them straight. In fact, nowadays they have truss rods that work in both directions right. to keep the neck straight if it does tend to go in the back bow. In the old days you would just discard that neck and get another one. Mm-hmm. So it's a little better now for that. But uh, even though the wood's harder, it's actually not as good because the pine enables you to use wood that's way more resonant, mm-hmm. way more straight growing and way more likely to stay straight and also sounds a whole lot better
0: right not only is it coming from uh old seasoned wood but also those were probably old growth trees that were exactly yeah Yeah,
1: that's the biggest difference i wouldn't go to a lumber yard and buy pine and Mm -hmm. do the same thing as i'm doing here it wouldn't be nearly the same trees today grow way too fast they they kind of grow them for lumber for commercial use right so they cut the trees down when they're way too young these trees were way compressed they were virgin forest they had 200 years to live and you know they were totally mature whereas today what they call a mature tree it's only like 50 to 80 years old oh wow where the tree really has 500 years more to live <laughs> but they just say oh yeah it's mature it's, it's ma- big enough cut it yeah, down it's big enough to cut it down does it yield enough lumber we need that wood so mm-hmm. that's what they do gotcha gotcha
0: so what i'm i don't imagine you probably started out working with these materials you probably start out Kind of well, more I standard. actually
1: came out of sculpture in college, and I was doing woodworking at the time, and I didn't have money for materials, so I would go to Druid Hill State Park. I went to college down in Baltimore, mm-hmm. Maryland Institute, and um, I would get wood from Druid Hill State Park that was, you know, wood that was thrown away, basically, too, so I started reclaiming wood way back in the late 60s, oh, Okay, so I've been doing it ever since, in yeah. some form or another, but this pine uh idea of using the new york city timberwood is really more like the last 10 15 years i've been doing yeah. that steadily yeah
0: you're totally doing it before
2: it was cool though yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i've got uh, some pine guitar bodies that i did back in 1991 and too so wow doing that a long time so, so you went
0: right from sculpture
1: into guitar building yeah actually uh while i was still in school i was trying to help pay tuition by making appalachian dulcimers and doing okay. craft fairs So that's what I did for several years while I was in college.
0: What got you into the more electric side of things?
1: Uh, It was just kind of an evolution of when I was making the guitars, I was actually doing, you know, because I majored in sculpture in school, I had done a lot of carving and woodworking that was a little more decorative. And so people were ordering my guitars about halfway because of that. Gotcha. Because of the decorative factor and the carvings I did on the bodies. And it just sort of lends themselves to solid body guitars rather than acoustic guitars. Of course. So I kind of switched in about uh oh well, I guess around nineteen seventy I kind of switched over to electrics and been doing it ever since.
0: Did you study under anybody as far as the process of making instruments or do you kind well,
1: back of... in nineteen sixties there was nowhere to go to school or learn how to build you had to go to, to another country, you'd have to go to Germany or, or Spain. Or, wow. You know, if you were even lucky enough, usually that, that's made mainly family oriented, whereas you start as a kid sweeping floors and you grow up through a journey mid-process. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that here in this country. So no. it was, I was fortunate to have some friends that had a lot of broken musical instruments and with my woodworking experience. I started putting them back together and realized they weren't that hard to do and I could, maybe sell some of these and make some money so Mm -hmm. i started making the appalachian dulcimus which is a much simpler instrument it's very basic right as a very basic uh construction as well as playing style right so that's where it kind of evolved from there into guitars
0: your your stuff seems to be uh very in demand was there a certain artist or something that helped kind of was the breaking point to that or was it just a combination of
1: yeah, I think you know that you know when you're here in New York City, you do meet a lot of celebrities and a lot of people will buy your guitars and you know I had early days I was working with Lou Reed and oh, wow. uh, Patti Smith and Papa Chubby bought a couple of guitars and he was pretty really big in in Europe and my friend Bob Quine used to hang out here a lot. He bought some of my guitars and some of the bands he played for in Japan were also buying them. And, so yeah it kind of developed from that but uh it was really when i got the, into this pine thing using the new york city timbers with certain buildings like i get wood from the chelsea mm-hmm. hotel and from uh, down on the bowery there's all the old mm-hmm. Burke suicide hall i've got some really historic buildings chumley's over on bedford street mcsorley's the oldest mm-hmm. bar in new york wow. i've gotten wood from some really iconic buildings and people kind of like that idea too they want to uh, wood from a certain place of course yeah. i
0: can totally see that yeah. that would be yeah a way of making history li- live on yeah
1: it's sort of getting a piece of old new york i call it the bones of old new york this wood it's the bones of these old buildings
0: it totally is yeah. you kind of told me off mic uh, if I, I don't know if you want to talk about this on huh, mic but how do you get most of it seems like it would be really challenging for most people
1: but... uh yeah it's it's uh everywhere in the city right now these buildings are like going on 200 years old and There's a lot of reconstruction going on. People, you know, the way they were designed originally, they had all these little rooms, plaster walls. It was a way of heating it and keeping it small. You could close off the upstairs. Right. But um, nowadays, people are trying to open up the buildings, so they they open them up. You know, they want bigger kitchens, bigger rooms, and a lot of the wood gets discarded. And so, I do a lot of dumpster diving. Mm -hmm. If I see scaffolding, I'll go talk to the construction crew and. People tip me off all the time. Kelly, there's a pile of wood over here. So, mm-hmm. you know, all well, last week I was hauling wood back. And we just hit a bunch of buildings that were throwing wood out.
0: You were loaded up in here. Yeah. Like, it's packed. I don't know if you could get much <laughs> know, more at this point.
1: I had, a, I had a lot of wood in the basement. But my landlady said, you know, it's not in your lease to use the basement. So oh, come on. I had to bring it all out <laughs> come of Come <there>. on. <laughs> so now
0: it's all up here. That's cool. Do you have uh, um, any... I mean, this might be hard to pick because you've worked with so many guys. Is there any particular artist you really enjoy working with?
1: Uh, hmm. Well, I'm, mean, you know, it, it, it's true. Like, I've worked with so many, and I like them all. Anybody who's really interested in my guitars, I have to say that I really enjoy making guitars for them, especially when you know they're going to use them and they're going to record with them. And, you know, Bill Kirchin's one of my favorite players, and he's, he's one of the more dedicated uh, artists that I have. A lot of... Guitar players have lots of guitars from a lot of different builders, Mm -hmm. a lot of different factories. And they'll use them occasionally, but when you find somebody who just drops all his other guitars and plays your guitar, you do sort of, you know, get more attached to their music and their sound. Of course. So that's sort of been happening too. Different, uh, like, you know, like I said, Bill Frizzell, Bill Kirch, and those guys, I love their sound, Mark Rebo. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of local guys here in New York that are incredible. But uh, you know, Patty. I love seeing when Patty gets up there. She's. We got a picture of her on Instagram from just last week where she was playing the guitar I made her 15 years ago. That's
2: so cool.
0: Yeah. Um, to go back to the guitars themselves a little bit, is it with the? Because we're, you know, kind of a lot of us have gotten accustomed to having dress rods. Would there be any considerations for instruments that don't have them? For instance, I mean, there's the ones that you build, but my dad also has an early Martin that. Mm-hmm doesn't have them, right. so we're real careful with it mm-hmm. and maybe, I don't know if we're overly sensitive or...
1: Probably are I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen Martins from the, the 30s that are still straight as an arrow mm-hmm. uh, They, you know, they usually use some sort of stiffening rod down the center of the neck on Martins. They had a T-bar in the early 30s that they used. It was a metal, you know, like an I-beam, like half an I-beam mm-hmm. and so that those necks are really straight and stiff and they'll never go anywhere even though the mahogany that they used isn't like the pine it has uh, but it's a pretty similar tree in the way it grows grows very straight it's a rainforest wood even though it's the softest of the hardwoods it wants to stay straight because of the way the tree grew so mahogany is a very stable wood it's good for necks Mm -hmm. Martins have done that for so long that uh, recently they started using truss rods just out of pressure i think people are scared you know they don't they don't necessarily want to take the chance, and they're always like, well, what happens if it does work? And I said, well, I've got guitars that are 20 years old and haven't moved at all, but I'd say you never know. you know, If it does move, we can always uh, put a truss rod in mm-hmm. or make you a new neck, you know, whatever. But yeah. I stand no. behind them. you know. I think they're uh, <laughs> very reliable, and uh, I like to make the necks pretty big anyway, too. And like during the war era, Gibson had a guitar neck that I kind of modeled my necks after. It was a, a J-45, mm-hmm. It's a big jumbo banner series, and they made the necks, even though they made the necks out of maple, they made them really big, and they didn't use truss rods because of the war effort at the time, World War II. And right. So they, Metal uh, shortages. Yeah, metal shortages. So they, they made this neck gigantic, and people love it. It's one of the most desired guitars because of that huge neck it has. And a lot of the guitars from that era, from the, the 40s, were Harmony, and... K. A lot mm-hmm. of the smaller companies made their necks at a, a poplar, which is softer, so they made them bigger. Right. But the, the feel is great, you know, it actually relaxes your hand more when you have a big neck. Is Small skinny necks were just a, a, a marketing ploy from the guitar factories in the 60s where they said our necks are faster because they're skinnier. Right, right. we can and shred. Just, yeah. And they just kept making them skinnier and skinnier, and then everybody started getting tendonitis carpal tunnel and other problems because they're pinching Mm -hmm. on skinny necks and their hands are getting cramped because their hands aren't full of the wood you know you have this little skinny thing that you're trying to play on and you wind up you know getting cramps and and it starts to lead to more problems so it was really uh not a a truthful idea that they were promoting it was more of a gimmick just to get people to buy their guitars yeah so but uh, you know good guitar players uh, know the difference and even electric guitars in the 1950s fender necks were much bigger yes and
0: and gibsons too yeah, yeah
1: and a lot of the guitar players that you know wound up making signature guitars from fender say they used to tell them that uh, i play a 50s guitar it has a big neck why are you making this neck so skinny it's not a representation of what i play mm-hmm. and the guitars were their signature model so fender started giving in a little bit making them a little bit bigger but actually, you know, they they went back to skinny necks because people are, are kind of stuck in this idea that they think that skinnier necks are faster and play easier. And you do feel a little bit of that when you first pick a guitar up, mm-hmm. but after a few minutes you realize, you know, it's actually a cramping sensation. And when you play a big neck, you don't feel like that's happening. Plus you don't feel like you're playing any slower. In fact, you kind of enjoy it more. And I find when people sit and play my guitars, They'll actually not want to put them down. They keep playing them, mm-hmm. so it says something to me right there that that's that's true. But there's also some hand surgeon guitar players here in Manhattan. That, oh, okay. That actually use that as a recipe to cure the problems that guitar players develop, and say you know get a bigger neck, you'll know, re- relax more, mm-hmm. and it works.
0: That's interesting because yeah, when I first started playing, I played a uh, Gibson with a 60s style neck, mm-hmm. and I still like that guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but over the years, and it's weird because I've always thought it's weird because I've got short, stubby fingers. And I was like, I shouldn't like these mm-hmm. big necks, yeah. but I like huge necks. Yeah. And- well, my, my, <laughs>
1: my example there is uh, Segovia, and mm-hmm. he had same thing. He had short, stubby fingers. But he mastered that gigantic, two-inch wide classical <laughs> guitar neck which has never changed in 200 years. The necks are still the same as they've always been. Mm-hmm. They never went through that. Well, our necks are faster because they're skinnier. Right. You know, classical guitars have never changed their design. They've been held in tradition, and not out of stubbornness or uh, snobbiness. They actually work better and they sound better. And everything there's been just as much experimentation in classical guitar building as there has in electric guitar building. And they always wind up going back to the 1830. Torres design classic look because it's the best. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you find I'm I'm I i am i did not I just know if I pick one up if I like how it feels. I've never sat down and measured anything because mm-hmm. I don't I'm a, just a just a regular sure. Joe. Yeah. But uh have you found any radiuses to be more comfortable well, in a line with that bigger neck theory? Yeah. Uh,
1: a flatter radius or a compound radius does let you have a little lower action. Mm-hmm. And the, the high steep radius, the seven and a quarter that fender used was really more for rhythm players at the time in the 1950s, and they like to tend to put their thumb over, wrap wrap around the neck, and they were very narrow, and and you weren't able to do that. But it's not a a style that's helpful, really, especially if you can compare it to a classical guitar neck. Mm -hmm. That style of music is different, but yet it is the proper way to play a guitar. If you're going to continue to progress and get better and better, it actually is better if your neck is... uh, is you know proportionately wider like a classic Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Yeah. well we're in your shop i don't want to take up too much more of your time but uh i do have a classic question that Mm -hmm. i ask everybody and since we're in new york this is even more fitting than normal yeah uh rick what what is your favorite kind of pizza
1: pizza yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) i like 28 down here right on a few doors down Mm -hmm. it's old uh, uh, crust hard crust Mm -hmm. thin crust pizza good stuff yeah, brick oven. Yeah, oh, no, really, it's thin, the oven. Yeah, thin, thin crust. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the best. And Joe's it's a real is. Italian. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real Italian place. It's a really really good pizza. It's it's real uh, what Sicilian style, Naibali- Napoli Don style. Naples. Yeah, yeah, from Naples. Oh, we're gonna so have to it's, check it out. It's awesome pizza. Yeah, it's really good. Uh-huh. I mean, there's two famous places right here in the village. You got John's on Bleecker Street. Right. They all do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, Joe's is more traditional style New York. You know. Not the greatest pizza, but it, it's real good. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of a, way the way
0: better than what you're going to get in California. The place, <laughs> the folded up and go yeah, style, exactly, right? Right, right. right? Yep. Well, thank you for uh, taking the All time. Right. Thanks really, for stopping by. Really nice talking to you. Cool. Yeah, that was a that was a real trip. Gotta say, going into Carmine Street Guitars was a super awesome experience. It was just old school builder like. Man, as legit as it gets. Rick is a is a good dude. I got to play some of his guitars while I was there after the interview. And um yeah, I was very, very impressed. That was a that was a really cool experience and thanks to Grant Wilson for hooking that up. Um there'll probably be a lot of plugging going on in this little mid roll portion before we get into the next part of this two parter episode. Because I gotta let you know that it's also sponsored by Adventure Audio. And uh you know Christian, he's been on couple episodes he's a he's one of the dutiest of dudes you gotta love Christian and his pedals are insane we're doing a little something something here later this month I think you guys are really gonna enjoy it we've been working on it uh, for quite a while and uh, brainstorming and and trying to come up with this uh, with this concept I think you guys are really gonna like it but won't get into that too much needless to say check out adventurepedals.com. Uh, An adventure audio on all of the interweb stuff they have. You know Christian by now. He's part of the community. He's one of the guys. So definitely check out his work if you're not familiar already. But onto this next portion. This was recorded at Fear the Riff, as you will hear, a uh, little loud. Um, but hey, that's what it is. It's Fear the Riff. We 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 were fearing the riff all day. Um, it was it was quite an experience And I really enjoyed it This is with Seth from uh, Night Owl Industries He's uh, taking a really unique approach To vacuum tube amplifiers I think you guys will be really interested in it And uh, we we'll go through it briefly here Hopefully we can go into more in depth On a later episode But here you go Here's Seth from Night Owl Industries Alright uh, We're outside the Fear the Rift Expo Crouched behind a what is this? Dodge or Jeep Compass, because uh, that's where all professional recording of podcasts takes place. And uh, let's see. I'm trying to get my bearings. Uh, we're in Brooklyn. Greenpoint. Greenpoint. You talk about it. It's your neighborhood. I'm just a foreigner. Yeah, yeah
2: no problem. You no, know, I, I spend a lot of time out here. Uh, we're in Greenpoint. We're about five blocks from my old house. Uh, before I moved to the sticks. uh this is where I lived for a long time. Uh, I was a musician in Brooklyn, you know, for, for 15 years, mm-hmm. and I was really lucky to be here during that time. It's a really good scene. Got to play all the really nice clubs before they all got shut down and, you know, replaced with uh, frozen yogurt stands and <laughs> such. <laughs> right. So, uh, and that's, you know, kind of what was the start of this whole rig, this whole idea. So,
0: Night Owl, what, what made... Uh what made you want to do so what, we should talk about that a little bit more in depth because you have taken a different approach than a lot of am guys um you touched on it while we were in the show but for the listeners like why why did you do it the way you did it and it's it's a very different approach than what i see a lot of guys take especially on the lower wattage end things
2: and that was kind of the idea, you know, it's uh, a lot of guys or you know, do this kind of as a part-time thing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I wanted to make this product and I really wanted to do it full on that I had to, had to go all out. Yeah. And I knew that no matter how good of a circuit I built or how good it sounded, if it didn't look unique, you know, and if it didn't have that craftsmanship that I was just going to be one more guy in a sea of, of amps. hmm um, and so it had kind of two origins. The first is you know, my love for EF-86 and the L-84 tubes. You know, right. If you've played a lot, you know, you know your tubes, you have some that you like, some that you don't. And there's something about pentodes that nothing else has. You know, so when I was playing, you know, I was playing in metal bands, and with those shows, you know, you're playing high water jams, you're playing really heavy stuff, So, when you bring that rig home, you know, it's hard to recreate that sound. Right. Uh, Because all the home amps and all the small amps are, you know, toys for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, they cost a couple hundred bucks because people don't want to spend a lot on a small amp. But they sound like that, you know, they sound like toys. They've Mm -hmm. got, you know, input sections that kinda of ruin your setup because you spend a lot of money on your guitar. You know, you spend a lot of money on your pedals. You spend extra money on these really nice cables. And then you take all that money and you plug it into some kind of cheesy little preamp section with a 12 AXF and that's biased halfway so they can save money <laughs> and power on the trans You know? And so I decided I wanted to make just an all out, super powerful uh small amp you know, so as where a lot of guys are taking a transformer and you know turning 120 volts into 100 watts, you know I'm taking 600 volts and I'm turning it to three watts, mm-hmm. you know, and because when you run tubes single ended, you get you know a sound that you can't achieve any other way. So, the idea was basically to to have a power amp slash slave amp that you could plug your entire rig into. As I used to use it, you know, that's why I started building these. I would put my rack system and I would drop this on top of it. You know, I'd wire it myself and I'd have a really cool power in for home. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day I turned my rack effects off and I just plugged the rack and I was like, oh my God, this thing sounds amazing by itself. <laughs> right, know? right, right. So I was like, you know, somebody else is into it. So I brought my band in and the bass player played it and he was like, oh my God, this is amazing, man. You got to make these things. I was like, I can't. I got a job and I got a life. So, <laughs> you know, that, that was part of it. And also, you know, uh, Coming from the musician side of it, and coming from being a tube fanatic, I know what vintage equipment can do that modern stuff can't, and it's a weight thing. You know, you lift a new little amp, and it weighs nothing. You know, those amps weigh less than my transformers. You know, uh-huh. but if you go back to the '40s and '50s and '60s, when the tube technology was really its golden era, that's when you see the best sounding stuff. Right. So you know that's really what I was after, and I just took the absolute most bare bones approach I could, you know, to getting that sound and only buying the best parts I could to get it. Mm-hmm. So, what is your background like? You were building,
0: you were in a band a lot, as you said, but you started, you just started, nobody just starts building amps all of a sudden, or did you? Well, nobody's seen, you know. I mean, <laughs> my background, the only
2: thing I'm really qualified in, essentially, is is music. You know, I've been playing guitar my entire life. I got my music degree, you know, and I spent probably a thousand hours in recording studios, and, you know, I played everything from CBGBs when I was running to dive bars to stadiums in Eastern Europe, you right. know. So, that's kind of, you know, a lot of what I've done has always been a musician, but it's hard to be a musician and not really get into the gear side of it. I agree. I agree. You know, being kind of a pompous, you know, arrogant kind of guy, I was like, why can they do this? And I can't. So, you know, I dug into all the books I could, all the YouTube channels, you know, I learned about circuitry, I learned about metal fabrication, I learned about carpentry. Um, And eventually, you know, I quit my job uh, and I just moved upstate rented a little space, you know, and just decided this is what I'm gonna do. And I mm-hmm. locked myself in this little space and just started building. Uh, that was nine months ago, you know. Um, I managed to make this connection in Russia for some, you know, good deals on the tubes, which are really hard to find because new tubes, you know, not trying to off anybody, but new tubes don't sound very good mm-hmm. compared to old ones. You know, the tubes mm-hmm. I'm using are testing at 130, 140% because they're old, because they're new old stock. So, you know, knowledge of those types of parts really helped me a lot. Um, and just really wanting to be part of this business. You know, I saw what pedal makers were doing, and I was thinking, man, look at these guys. They have all these great finishes. They have all these great varieties. You know, all these different shapes and all this cool stuff. And I look at guitar amps. They're all square boxes. They're all rectangles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why isn't anybody really doing anything innovative on the, on the design side? So, right. You know, on the circuit side, I kept it as absolutely basic as possible. And on the design side, you know, I tried to give it something new. Um, and my, you know, the experience I had of metal fabrication kind of gave me the opportunity to do that. Of course. Um, and they let me make a different looking amp than everybody else's, which is, you know, hopefully some of the attraction about these. It would definitely was for me. I mean, I've seen them
0: uh, on Instagram, of course, where, where all gearheads find most things <laughs> these days. And uh, and I was like, oh, and they're going to be, oh, they're going to be at Fear the rip. So what was it, is it just the kind of the proximity that made you want to come to this one
2: first? Or? Well, uh, my friend Thomas Voida, who runs uh, Savaria Studios, which is a local studio around here, you know, and it's a really great studio, it's affordable, and he was the guy who was like, Steph, you know, you got to get out there and you got to, you know, do this show, mm-hmm. it's, it's specifically boutique builders, you know? So I'm like, okay, so I contacted John, you know, I got a, I got on there and um, really this is kind of what I've been working towards uh, mm-hmm. the whole time. So. Uh, he turned me on to the show. I got in touch, in touch with John, you know, and he set me up uh, with, with a good booth and good placement, which is really cool of him. Um, and that was it. I knew it was going to be in Brooklyn and having spent a lot of time here, you know, it's not a far drive from where I live upstate. Yeah, there you go. You know, in Greenwood Lake. So I was like, hey man, it's my shot. There you go. Cool.
0: Well, it looks really cool. Um, I'm excited to dig into it here pretty soon. I was especially intrigued when you said you designed it with the pedals and uh, preamps and stuff in mind and uh as everyone knows i'm a huge fuzz nerd and all that yeah. kind of stuff so yeah. i'm really excited to hear about that stuff i don't want to keep you from your booth for too long these are going to kind of be mini segments of what the podcast normally is and actually a lot more focused than what people are used to hearing <laughs> so uh usually we get off into all kinds of things but since we're here and we are in new york city and uh, uh it would be remiss if i didn't ask you the classic
2: question of what is your kind favorite kind of pizza?
0: Oh man.
2: You know, I gotta say really New York pizza is the closest you can get to Italian pizza. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Italy. I lived there until I was nine, you know, and I moved to the States and, the hardest part of moving to the United States was the food, you know, so being in New York is amazing, you know, the food is amazing, the pizza here, um, you know, there's a spot I was at last night, Ribalta on East 12th, and okay. that, in my opinion, you know, I, don't, I got no affiliation, I'm not trying to give free plugs, but if you're in Union Square, you know, and you want the best pizza around, that spot is great. All right. And you know, for somebody who grew up around good pizza, you know, it's, uh, there's nowhere to eat like here. I live upstate and the food is horrible, so oh, no. it's nice to be home. You know?
0: Uh, Yeah. i'm coming from portland and we're kind of spoiled over there too so it's like i'm uh real picky the wife and i when we go out to various places what are we gonna do Ah, we're gonna see the sights and we're but yeah but where are we eating that's what that's what matters yeah Yeah. that is what matters man. you're on what you (laughs) eat you know yep so all right man it was nice talking to you uh hopefully we can do a longer form version of this sometime but I know you got people probably waiting for you. So. It's all good.
2: Listen, I really appreciate the uh, the interview. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of your site, man, and uh, you know I like what you're doing. So keep it up, and thanks again. Much appreciated. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Bye.
0: All right, all right, all right. That does it for this episode. I know it's a little different format than what we're used to. Let me know if you guys enjoyed this or not. It's a it's a new thing. I haven't really done it like this. Um, it it was kind of fun. I'll be perfectly honest, kind of doing the uh, more rapid-fire style interviews versus kind of the long-form. But I do personally enjoy listening to long-form interviews more myself, but you guys let me know. I would be glad to intersperse a mix of both going down the road. Just let me know. Info at ToneMob.com. Hit me in the Facebook group. All that good stuff. I do have another one of these episodes coming right behind this, so look forward to that and... If there's anybody you want to get on the podcast, you can, you know, send an email to me. You can get in contact with them. Say, hey, we'd love to hear you on the Tone Mob podcast, and uh, you know, maybe you can get some of your favorite builders uh, to hit me up. Uh, I do have I do have a list of people who are wanting to come on the show, but I always want to know what you guys think. You're the listeners. You are the ones that uh, make this whole thing go around. So let me know.